This is Soul Over the Bones, a podcast for rewilding by Liz Glenn. Hello and welcome everyone. In this episode, we are going to be discussing death. It is a topic that has been heavy on my heart and present in my life very much as of lately, and I hope that this doesn't deter you from this episode or this podcast because death is an integral part of our wildish nature, something that we should contemplate often, something we should be discussing, something that we should be presently aware of in our everyday lives too live a deeper, richer life. When my family made the decision to move to Michigan last year, it wasn't a conscious choice so much as what seemed like the only choice. We couldn't see how we could continue to make it work living in Southern California long-term, and we didn't have any immediate family anywhere else. This decision was expedited by the fact that Our landlords in Long Beach had informed us that they'd be selling the house and we had 60 days to figure out a new place to live. In those 60 days, it seemed like we had knocked on every single door and only one opened. There was only really one option. Circumstances arose that created a need for us to take over a house here in Michigan, which met a housing need of ours as well. But It didn't feel kismet so much as being backed into a corner. While I don't have a solid belief system in any one thing anymore, I do believe that everything happens for a reason, and I trusted the universe had a plan for our lives that involved being in Michigan, though I couldn't see it. To be clear, I still can't see the full big picture, but the outline through the fog is becoming clearer. We moved to Michigan in March of last year in 2020, and my mom had to say goodbye to her mom last summer, who had been declining in health and suffering from dementia. My ex-husband's father, my daughter's grandfather, had battled with stage 4 cancer for seven years and finally ran out of treatment options, deteriorated in health, and passed away about a month ago. Then, just over a week ago, my last grandparent, My dad's dad peacefully passed away in a hospital bed. It came as a shock. He was 93, sure, and his health had slowly been declining over the past year, but he had been in and out of the hospital lots of times, and I had seen him just two days before he passed. I figured that he would make a recovery like he always did. He was unable to speak the last time I saw him, but He drank in my face intently and squeezed tight to my hand. I reassured him that he could rest. I was there. He could lay back and close his eyes now. And he did. I like to believe that's what he thought of when he closed his eyes to sleep one last time. As someone who has lost my religion, I feel somewhat ambivalent about what happens after death. I'm not so much afraid of it, and while I miss the people who have passed on, I'm able to reasonably grieve and come to terms with the reality of death. But I don't have any certainty 
in what happens when someone passes on. I'm still the romantic type of person who wishes on eyelashes, shooting stars, candles, lucky pennies. I like to believe in omens, look for angel numbers, hope for signs. I don't know that any of it is true, though. It's just something nice I like to practice to make me feel better. But isn't that all religion? Since shifting toward belief in a more nature-based ethic, I've been able to understand the symbolism and meaning within the life-death life cycles that happen throughout life, in relationships, in seasons, in energy, and of course, the literal cycles and seasons that we experience. The law of conservation of energy states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only converted from one form of energy to another. Quantum physics states that mass and energy are interchangeable, and consequently that mass is merely a manifestation of energy. This means that everything, including humans, is simply energy stored in mass particle form. The cells that make up the human body contain water molecules and various biomolecules such as proteins, lipids, carbohydrates, nucleic acids, etc. The molecules present in the cell are made up of basic elements such as carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen. These elements possess energy. Hence, we can say that at a biological cellular level, humans are made of energy. What I've just recited is not my own knowledge. I'll link to each source in the show notes. But this, what I have just drawn from, is purely science. It is scientific. These are principles that can be and have been proven by human senses and perception. I believe that there's even more beyond this that we can't comprehend, that our senses can't perceive, phenomena that can't be explained. At the basis, though, even from a scientific standpoint, it stands to reason that if humans are made of energy, and if energy cannot be created nor destroyed, only changing from one form of energy to another, that even biological death cannot deter our energy from continuing to live on. I read a short but powerful article that I'll link to in the show notes that said, in death, the collection of atoms of which you are composed, a universe within the universe, are repurposed. Those atoms and that energy, which originated during the Big Bang, will always be around. Therefore, your, quote, light, that is, the essence of your energy, not to be confused with your actual consciousness, will continue to echo throughout space until the end of time. To me, that is a beautiful reassurance and realization. Clarissa Pinkola Estes coined the phrase life-death-life cycle, which she describes as an archetypal term for the ancient pattern of all nature in Women Who Run With the Wolves. She says, the life-death-life nature is a cycle of animation, development, decline, and death that is always followed by reanimation. This cycle affects all physical life 
and all facets of psychological life. Everything, the sun, novas, and the moon, as well as the affairs of humans and those of the tiniest creatures, cells, and atoms alike, have this fluttering, then faltering, then fluttering again. She tells an archetypal story of Skeleton Woman, or Lady Death, who she says we must all dance with in order to live our fullest lives. She is the one who knows when it is time for something to begin and when it is time for something to end. She deals with the matter of maintaining balance. We tend to refuse the end of something because we fear death, whether that is literal death or symbolic death. We fear the finality of something ending, but thereby deny ourselves the opportunity for what lies in the life beyond. I guess that's another reason for living in Michigan now. We get to fully experience the seasons through a lens that can now appreciate it where I never did when I was younger. Knowledge of these principles and living closer to my natural rhythms led me to create my Cycles and Seasons Guide. I muse about the poetry of this life-death-life dance through menstrual cycles, moon phases, calendar seasons, week and day rituals, plus the elements, and how you can apply the knowledge and observance of these to cultivate a more powerful, grounded, connected life. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you to grab your copy. I can't mention ancestors without also calling attention to generational trauma. In death, we reflect, we make meaning, we tie up that person's contributions and lasting legacy with a bow in a few concise sentences that highlight the most palatable, most agreeable aspects of a very complex being. My grandpa and I were close. To me, he was a quiet, funny, loving, gentle man, reserved, unheralded. My dad's experience with this same person was altogether different, especially in his youth. There were many things he didn't say, many things my dad has to carry and work through in the wake of his father's death. My perception of my grandfather doesn't deny my father's reality. I honor that his experience is far more complex, and because I didn't experience that same version of my grandfather, doesn't make my father's experience or perspective any less valid. What we do have in common is the ability to examine the shadows our triggers unveil to us. Nicole Lapira, the holistic psychologist, says, Trauma is inherited. Generational trauma exists within cycles. It's passed on from parent to child. Understanding trauma and how it impacts our own parents from their own parents is the beginning of the healing journey. When we understand that our mothers, or fathers or parents, are human beings, repeating the same habits and patterns they witnessed within their own childhood, we can begin to heal. Many of us personalize our mother's behavior. We believe that how she treated us, how she spoke to us, how much affection she showed, if she actually saw us as a reflection of who we are, that's why trauma causes low self-worth. Most of our mothers were taught little to nothing about emotional awareness, boundaries, how to communicate, how to cope with stressful emotions. Many of them were still 
hurting children themselves. Ending cycles is about awareness. It's not about placing blame. It's about understanding human behavior and making new choices rooted in self-respect, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness. Maya Angelou said, Do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. It's easy enough for someone to say that older generations, those in the corporal punishment eras, didn't know better. They continued to parent what they were taught by their own experiences. I think in communities with lack of access to information and resources, this could be understandable. I realize there are cultures around the world disconnected from the internet whose rituals and rites would be frowned upon by modern-day gentle parenting. The ultimate goal is to be a good person and try to raise good people who together create a good and beautiful world. I want the lasting effects of my legacy to be that of light and joy and peace. I don't think that will be achieved by hurting others, whether that be emotionally, mentally, physically, verbally, or otherwise. In fact, research has shown that corporal punishment yielded no more effective outcome than other forms of punishment and also resulted in children being more aggressive in the long term. We can only love with the amount of love we're shown, though. Loving is a learned behavior, and if we weren't shown unconditional love, love that is respectful, love that is patient, love that is understanding. We will innately carry that lack into the rest of our lives and have deficits until we adequately deal with it. This looks like going to therapy, healing childhood wounds, seeking, experiencing, and giving the kind of love we wish to receive and breaking generational chains. This goes back to what I said in episode 15 a quote from a tweet by Adam Grant that says, Too many people spend their lives being dutiful descendants instead of good ancestors. The responsibility of each generation is not to please their predecessors. It's to improve things for their offspring. It's more important to make your children proud than your parents proud. I wish to honor and respect my ancestors while also not denying my reality about the role they played in my story. My mom's mom was mostly unkind to her. I don't place full responsibility on my grandmother's shoulders for this, but due to a culmination of elements, most of my mom's family gatherings were uncomfortable for me, to say the least. The hostility eventually led me to cut off contact with many of my relatives on that side of the family for my own peace when I was still in high school. My mother felt she was treated differently than her four other sisters. Her mother would berate her, insult her choices in hairstyle, yell at her, and hang up the phone on her. Despite any of this, my mom would keep going back. My mom would clip coupons for her and drop off things to her almost daily. I'd ask my mom, why bother? Why keep going back to a person who treats you unkindly and without respect? Because she's my mom, my mom would say. I don't agree with this rhetoric. I think if someone treats you poorly enough for long enough, you need to set boundaries to protect yourself and limit your access to that kind of wear and tear and limit that person's access to you. I do admire my mom's heart, though, and 
though I decided long ago I wouldn't be attending my grandmother's funeral because of the extended family that would be there, I did go to pay my respects when her health was failing. My mother sat at her bedside day in and day out. When she finally passed, my mom said she missed her. I couldn't understand it, and I still can't, really, how you could miss someone who treats you that way all the time. I try to be understanding and have compassion, though. I don't know a lot about my grandmother's upbringing, but I would be willing to bet that I could guess a fair bit of it. I think an important piece to note here is the mourning of someone you didn't get. It's not just the sadness over losing the person that was, but also mourning the possibility at an opportunity to get the parent you always needed or the person you always needed. While there isn't much we can do to change the past, we have the ability to come to terms with what we experienced and redefine what is okay and what isn't. We have the power to treat ourselves with the love, care, and respect we may not have gotten. Aisha Siddiqui's famous quote states, Be the person you needed when you were younger, and that couldn't ring more true in this instance. While we are powerless against the past, we have the control to determine our future, to heal our wounds, and to be the kind of parent we needed both to ourselves and to our children. There is enough room for all aspects of our reality. There's the parent we didn't have and the parent we did get in shining moments that we highlight in funeral liturgies. We can hold space for both, and we don't have to deny any aspect of our reality in an effort to honor the deceased. I was shattered to hear the news that Jesse Chamberlain Marble, innovative photographer and mother to young children, had lost her battle to leukemia in June of 2021. I learned of her passing by way of a tribute her husband Jimmy Marble had posted on Instagram that so eloquently said, Her beauty always came from the inside, and it always outsized her little frame. Now it is released, and I can already see it surrounding us everywhere, all at once, sharing itself with Jessie's quintessential generosity. Jessie will be every sunrise, every flower field, every swim in calm waters, and every laugh shared between our family and friends. Her love surrounds us, and we will carry her spirit on forever and ever until our very last breaths. Rest in peace, sweet bird. We will see you everywhere. I was emotionally touched by it then, and I'm even more moved by it now as I experience so much death happening all around me, and I'm supported by the knowledge that science has provided that we truly do go on and on forever everywhere and in all things. Hopefully this can come as a comfort and an inspiration to you too. I wish you gentleness and peace as you dive into your family's generational trauma and history and stories, both the stories you were told and taught about yourself and the stories that you learn about others. If it's too much, I encourage you to be gentle with yourself and take it slow. I encourage you to stay close to your body and honor what it needs as you wade through big emotions. 
I'd love to hear what your thoughts on death are and any thoughts that may have come up for you in this episode. You can contact me on Instagram. I'm at the Liz Glenn. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.